Welcome to episode eight of Spinal Tap Minute, the podcast where we'll analyze, scrutinize, and none more black eyes the movie This is Spinal Tap, one magnificent minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Sean German of 5MinutesOfMime.com. And with us today is special guest Christopher Dennis DeGuardia, all the way from uh, MIT, joining us on the Spinal Tap Minute. Welcome, Christopher. Hey, guys. How's it going? Great. So glad to finally hear your voice. Uh, I'm I'm glad you say that. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we've we've got some, some, some good minutes coming up. Totally, totally. Should, should be fun. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so today our mission is to discuss, this is Spinal Tap, minute number eight. Uh, minute eight begins with the hostess with the mostess, Bobby Fleckman. <laughs> uh, we end with a little bit uh, of a look behind the scenes with the mimes. And in between, we are on the, uh, the opening night party that kicks off the tour. Awesome. So, yeah, so this, this minute starts off with... Uh, Bobby Fleckman, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, saying hello to the band and uh, introducing us to uh, Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg, who is the head of Spinal Tap's record company, Polymer Records. Polymer Records. Polymer. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, I was doing a little more background actors observing. We've got this right here at the beginning with with Fran making her glad handing moments here with everybody getting a getting her smooches and hugs in. Mm-hmm. I love the way she's holding her cigarette up. It's very sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have this young Mormon man, or at least that's what I thought he looked like in another minute behind drinking something. Mm-hmm. Almost looks like a glass of juice. Maybe it's beer or something. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, it looks like there's probably some old hippies that are record company execs and they've got their prep school kids that they bring along to these parties. You see these just like young Republican, these young men in, in suits and red ties and they just stick out like a sore thumb. Everyone else is rock and roll and casual. And uh, yeah, I don't know what these guys are doing here. Do you think they're like, maybe like the accountants or something? Oh like, yeah, they, they invite them because they have to. Definitely, right. they just like square okay. it up everywhere they go. That's, that's what I was thinking they were. Yeah, yeah that's definitely be. a good call. But, yeah, sure. that's, that's the money man. All right. Yeah, you you always need those guys around, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that was yeah, my... and they never fit in, even if they try to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, no matter how much juice they drink, <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah, so I think, and Sean, you were mentioning with me off mic that you had a little more info about this this other guy here that we see the um, one yeah. with the sun or sunglass. Well, they're not; they're like tinted, almost like eighties aviator glasses. Yeah. Something. So, so Angelo, a- Angelo Dementabellio. De yeah. So we noticed him this minute. He kind of hovers around the band. He circles the scene. He's always in the background. We can see him as as Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg is walking over. Again, he's he's just right in the background. I, and I did go back and watch. So I've got a, a work print. And we've discussed earlier how for this movie, it's mostly or entirely improv. And they actually recorded about four hours of footage of the band performing and, and scenes like this, and then an additional three and a half hours of the interview scenes with Marty. But there's a work uh, work print floating around the internet 
if you care to look for it, that has those four hours of these scenes. Um, And there's some deleted scenes. There's some extended stuff that didn't make the movie. And there's a couple things with with Angelo um, that got cut out. Uh, one is there's a scene there's a scene that that we see later on that's Angelo with one of the waiters um, and and what's in the movie is just him not taking food or just refusing food. What's right. cut out is um, he actually says I guess it's the little hors d'oeuvres with the toothpicks in them and he's got a line he says the toothpicks always get stuck in my mouth. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> which got cut out, which was kind of a shame. I thought that was a bit of a funny line. But there's also there's there's an extended bit where he's talking with Nigel and David and he's pitching them an idea for a benefit. And it's weird. It starts out good. He's like, Do you guys know Madison Square Garden? And, you know, the, the big arena in New York City. And they're like, Oh, okay, yeah, Madison Square Garden. Well, underneath it is Penn Station. And let's do what we could do, a benefit in Penn Station. <laughs> so that was his pitch that, that got cut out is he was pitching the guy to do some kind of benefit inside the train station or the subway station underneath Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and the guys asked, like, so, so what's the benefit for? And he's like, well, we'll figure that out later. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's benefit. It's a benefit for something, but we'll do it in the subway. <laughs> so yeah. that was a little bit with with Angelo that got cut out. So it's without that, it just well even with those scenes, it's still weird how he's just he's hanging around because it's 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 separate. He's off to the side talking with with Nigel and David. The bit that cut out, but the scenes that we have where they're in sort of the main party, the main room with everybody and and Sir Dennis, and and it's never clear exactly is he is he from the record company? Is he a concert promoter like? What's his job? What does he do other than pitching, you know, assorted benefits? We don't really know. But uh, so that's a little bit more info on uh, on this gadfly who's hanging around Angelo. He's definitely oh, stylish. I mean, look at that. Yeah. Coat. Yeah. And I, I like I've got it frozen on the him uh, shaking off the mime. <laughs> and the, the guy behind the mime just looks really amused by this whole thing. <laughs> like, I don't even I, I he's genuinely happy about this. He just has this great smile on his face. But yeah, I think Angelo, I'm trying to place what I think he is. I think you're right. I think he's just like this like hanger on. Yeah. He's always trying to like, like scheme his way into things. Yeah. You take, you know, he's well, I was just going to say, so, so yeah. So skipping ahead, it's about like 45, 46 seconds in. Um, it's the scene where he's like waving off the mime. One, so the one thing I would say is he's kind of timeless other than the, the turquoise jewelry, the ring he's wearing. Most of the people we, and we've discussed in, in previous minutes, the, the costumes and the outfits and the hair and, and everyone's very early eighties. Like for the most part, you can, you could time this movie, even if you didn't know when it was filmed or released based on, on the fashion, but this kind of, he's very monochromatic. It's black tie and a black shirt and a, and a dark gray jacket, you know, other than the glasses and the little bit of a feather in his hair, He's got kind of a timeless look. That's funny, Sean, because I think in our last minute, I said that jacket only ever belonged in the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> okay. We'll just but, cut that bit out. <laughs> yeah. But it, it can be both. Yeah, it could be yeah. both. But yeah, it is. It's not a, It's not overly 80s, I guess. It just, it reminds me a little bit of... Um, I don't know, like Miami Vice in New York or something like oh, that. Like it has a bit of that mm-hmm. sports coat, casual, mm-hmm. but dressed up. I guess maybe, maybe that's like an East Coast, you know, New York area thing that like the, the a black shirt with a black tie like doesn't stand out like that doesn't. 
I don't see that as dated. I'm like, I see guys dressed like that all the time. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that I think is pretty timeless. I think it's the jacket for me. But yeah, that it. Well, it's a bit of um, it's a pattern of some sort. It's not checkered or striped, but it's not a solid color. No, yeah. it's it, it. It definitely looks kind of strange from in this freeze frame. I've got it in like it's like shiny, but it might just be textured. I don't know. What's yeah. the, what's, what's the little pin? He's he's got a little pin on. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I don't know what the pin is, but from the the pause I have, it almost looks like a um, basketball shoe, like a Converse high top. I was just thinking that because it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it, my first thought was, is, is it a skate? But no, mm. it's kind of like a it's high top sneaker shaped. It's a white sole with a white circle. Yeah, maybe he's, 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 he's sporting, you know, he's repping Chuck Taylors. Yeah, maybe. It's like a little, yeah, I think you're, I think you're onto something. It's like a little sneaker. Would you, would you watch the Angelo uh, anthology film? Definitely. Yeah. Would you, would you yeah. watch that? Yeah, to find out. Yeah, what I want to kind of know the, the the background. Like, what what yeah. adventures does he go on after he leaves this party? Right. Yeah. What, yeah. That could be like if this movie had come out now, that'd be like a web short that came yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, because something would explain like his history with toothpicks. That like he doesn't eat food that comes on a toothpick. <laughs> He's got a terrible terrible toothpick experience in his past. Yeah, so that's yeah. a callback to some previous adventure that uh, right that we don't we haven't seen yet. And all the big Angelo fans go, "Oh, the toothpick, classic, <laughs> right, Angelo. classic, classic Angelo. Angelo." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I guess I this might be his an assistant. So in the in the credits, we were trying to match up the people we see on the screen with the people in the credits, and obviously they never say his name in the movie. So there's there's two credits. There's Angelo Dementabellio. And then there's someone just credited as Angelo's associate. And I wonder if that's the woman he's speaking with here and like the black and the with the gold dots on her jacket, mm-hmm. if that's uh if that's his associate. And I just really love the name Dementibelio. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that, that, that I'm, I'm sure that's been used as like a fake hotel name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if I needed a fake hotel yeah. name, I would use that. There you go. You know? need a fake I would name. go with that. Yeah. Well, All speaking right. of fashion, guys, I'm like scrolling around on this and noticing all sorts of weird things that I never even noticed, even though I watched this so many times this week. Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg, does he have, is that a corsage? A carnation? It almost looks like a used tissue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like pinned to his jacket. <laughs> but I'm assuming it's a corsage. That's a little well, different. A, well, We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll say it's a boutonniere rather than okay. corsage. But... Sorry, I'm a woman. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. boutonniere is the male corsage. And he's, right? he's English. He is English or British. Okay. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's some kind of flower, but it doesn't. It's not clear enough to say is this a single flower or is this a grouping of several smaller flowers? A small and bouquet. Yeah, well, because it, it, it's it's pink, a very light pink flower. And then he's got like a red kerchief or pocket square sticking out of his pocket. That's very dark. It's it's, it's almost hard. It's very yeah. hard to see against the black of his jacket. So it goes very light with the flower and then very dark with the pocket square. Though I suppose when, when you start with, when you're the kind of man who carries a cane and, and not needing it to walk, you know, as a fashion accessory, we know, <laughs> uh, we know Sir Dennis is, uh, you know, he's his own man. He's doing his own thing. He's got flair. Right. Yes. Yes. And he, he he's also a knight, apparently. He's Sir yes. Dennis. So Sir. He's Sir Dennis. Yeah. So he's the president yeah. and a knight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'll go we we we're not quite doing the um 
the the Rick from Mad Max minute IMDb review for everyone, but I will do it for <laughs> Sir Dennis uh, for Dennis Eaton Hogg here, who's played by Patrick McNee, who has got quite a long list of credits. If you do look him up on IMDb, I won't do his, his entire top four, but I'll do I'll do two. Is one was John Steed from the Avengers series back oh, yeah. in the sixties. Um, which was, it's not the Marvel superheroes, but it's um, sort of a James Bond type uh, right. spy thriller television series. So he was uh, one of the leads on that. And then also he was Sir Godfrey in A View to a Kill. Oh, okay. Okay. So a bit of, uh, he's got a history of playing knights, let's say. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, the James Bond folks saw him in this and said, all right, we'll we'll cast that guy. Um, but so he's a very, he's very British, uh, very establishment, very long history in uh, in the movies and performing. And uh, here he is. He's the head of the record company. So he's he's the biggest of big wigs in uh, in Spinal Tap's world. And he's come on down. And this is kind of special. So he's here to kick it off. Um, and I don't know about you folks. When you know, I have a job and I do work, and we have projects. And uh, when a new project kicks off, I usually don't get the CEO or a president or someone of that level. I certainly don't get a sir. I don't get any British royalty <laughs> or knights coming down to, uh, to to wish me well on my endeavors. So I think this bodes well that the record company is really, uh, they're coming out and they're supporting the band. So uh, I think, you know, that that's a good sign in terms of publicity and, and, and booking venues and advertising and all that kind of stuff that the uh, the company is behind the band at this point. Yes. And nothing will ever go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just toss it in, and I'm probably going to mention this many more times in the future. I kind of lament Bobby Fleckman. Uh, again, going back to that work print that has all the stuff that they filmed with the band, including deleted scenes, there's a lot more of Bobby in there mm -hmm. that gets cut out. Oh, I actually meant to, to double check, but... Is this, there's this, there's the, and then later there's a record association convention mm -hmm. where we see Bobby again and, and we talk more about uh, the new album, Smell the Glove. And then I, I don't think we see Bobby again after that, which is kind of a shame in, in the original outline and then what they filmed. Um, there's a lot more of her. And she takes a more active role in in supporting the band. So she's supposed to be the main liaison mm. between the band and the record company. And uh, she kind of disappears in the movie, which kind of, it doesn't speak well for her professionally. You think, well, she's, you know, the band stuff happens throughout the, the course of a national tour. And she's the one who's supposed to be there supporting them. And, and they don't show that. So I just want to mention that to the folks that are, you know, maybe aren't, as big a Bobby Fleckman fan as as we all are to let you know that she she is doing her job. It just it ended up on the cutting room floor. It didn't make it into the movie. And it's also kind of a shame. I think there's some other stuff we'll see, a little foreshadowing in terms of the um the gender dynamic between the guys in the band and, and the women around them and the women they work with. That you kinda you can get an impression that like she's she's letting them down. She's not really holding up her end of the bargain. And so I'm going to, I'm going to stick up for Bobby and I'm going to say she did it. And then, you know, just there's time. I understand it's not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying Marty DeBergie was, was out to get her or anything. You know, these things, happen, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but just, you know, one for Bobby. 
Yeah. All right. I'm on. I like it. <laughs> I'm with you. All right. All right. Yeah, uh, and I I love Fran Drescher, and she's a she's a talented comedic actress or actor. So she it's it would have been great to see her. But there we maybe we can do a a web short for Bobby Fleckman and <laughs> where go. she ended up. I, I was actually thinking about that. So I was going back and doing some research and looking at that work print and then looking at some of the other scenes with her. And I'm like, you know, I kind of, I don't know the the legal status. This is stuff that's never been officially released on film. I'm like, I wonder if I could, if I just took a couple of these scenes and like put them up on YouTube or something, how long would they last before, uh, before uh, I get a letter yeah. in the mail telling me not to do that? Yeah. Um, but I'm like, hey, I'm just, you know, I just want to let the world know. About Bobby Flecknitz. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, and there's a good shot. So uh, so she gathers everyone around. She calls over the photographer and we're like, okay, well, you know, let's get a group shot. And uh, so you have the band with, with Ian and Sir Dennis. Once again, we, we certainly noted it in the performance uh, that we've seen so far, but you really get a good shot of the eclectic styles, um, even within the band that these guys, if you didn't know, I wouldn't guess that they're all from, they're all from the same band. They all play the same type of music. Nigel's got a thing. I was going to say animal, animal print, but I don't know if there's any actual animals that, <laughs> that look like his shirt. No purple spotted uh, creatures. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 some, it's some kind of animal that doesn't actually exist. David, again, is very prog rock. He's black shirt with a white jacket with the shawl lapel. There's no notch in the lapel. And then a silver shiny tie. You know, Derek, of course, is leather. We, we know that. And then uh, Mick has got, I don't know, it's like pink or orange or, or peach jacket with a, a very skinny tie. And then uh, I don't know if we get a good shot of Viv. And then again, Viv, Viv is something like out of Alice Cooper. Viv is just out of left field, is in his own universe. At least, well, Ian, and, it, and then Ian cleans up well. Ian looks appropriate. Ian and, and Dennis are like, this is, you know, it's a party, but it's, it's, a, it's a business party. Right, right. It's a, it's right. a business evening and they're... They're dressed appropriately, but everyone is is different. Everyone's doing their own thing. It's an well, it's a, an eclectic group. It I, is. Like the, I like that Derek is just just has his fist up because he doesn't really know what else to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every other part of the president is like engaged <laughs> by someone else. So he's just there going, "Yes, I'm here." <laughs> yeah, good call. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and but actually, just before they get into their pose at second 39 here, we are around there, we 30s here, 38, 39, we get a good glimpse at our first oh. mime <laughs> oh. server. And not only is he doing a great job, but then I also just noticed that Ian has something between his knuckles. Is that like a long cigarette or something? It's like a, a cigarillo, maybe? Is that what yeah. you call that? That's what I was thinking, because it's, it's dark. It's not, I mean, most cigarettes are generally white, like a pre-rolled cigarette. But I'm wondering if it's a, it's a yeah, like a cigarillo, a long, thin cigar. It's, a, a, yeah. It's, Something he's carrying around with him. A Swisher Sweet or something. <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> so Swisher Extra Long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it <laughs> yeah, so that's our, our first, I think the first introduction, or they've been floating around in the background of there's, there's a bartender or bartenders who are very traditionally dressed, white shirt, black vest, black bow tie, bow tie right. um, you know, kind of just 
black tie fancy were, were bartenders. But then moving throughout the crowd with the past hors d'oeuvres and stuff, serving food, are mimes. Yeah, so here, yeah, around second 39, you get a good shot of a mime with, with white makeup and red lips and a black bow tie and a beret. And um looks like chicken wings. And looks he looks like, like a, he's yeah. really miming it up. I wonder, <laughs> do we have any big mime fans or professionals here amongst the three of us that know a little bit about about mimes because i i would say this guy's really doing a lot of good mime work and good mime work movements yeah um so i'm um i'm not a professional mime i'm not a a trained mime uh by any means i'm not a member of a mime union but i'm a bit of an amateur mime aficionado i'm a fan of the uh the pantomime arts and uh yeah, so there is some some good mind work. It's very quick and it's kind of in the background and um there's a bit there's actually is a bit more in that in that work print that got cut out. Um which again is another shame. There's lots of good stuff in there that uh I'm assuming for time had to be cut out. Yeah, so there's there's that bit and then yeah, around 45, 46, we see uh we see I don't know if is that the same mime Oh, no, maybe you know this is a different mime. I'm I'm going to say different mime, but it's at the very least the same mime, but without the beret. Or no, the tie's different. It's definitely a different mime offering up a, a plate of something. It looks like something wrapped in bacon, stuck with a toothpick, offering it up to Angelo, and he's really uh, you know doing an appropriate mime performance for. Uh, for a waiter, he's pointing at his mouth, he's rubbing his stomach, he's, you know, <laughs> take this stuff, put it in here, it tastes good. But and then, you, yeah. Christopher, what do you think about the difference between the two performances? I, the see, earlier mime with the beret and very the Very subtle act, and then this was like, like, <laughs> this was like total mime, like, do this, here's exactly what I want you to do, but I, I believe this is, is this a, a famous mime? It is. I believe it is, right? We have two uh two cameos here, right? I won't go uh, to the next one, but is this not uh Mr. Dana Carvey? It, it is. is. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not sure that the first guy with the the beret, I am not sure who that is, but this second mime is uh yeah, that's Dana Carvey. I, I bet the first guy is like a like an actual mime. Because <laughs> yeah. he has a really like like this like really nice understated he has a good mime face. Yes. Yeah. But, Dana Carvey is like a, a cartoon of a mime almost. Like, yeah. Well, there's, 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 if, you know, just to, to get into it for a moment, there's some different schools of thought um, when it comes to mime. And there's a more, there's some more literal mime, which I think is what Dana Carvey's doing. And I think it's a good example um, later in the minute that's more, I guess, more exacting in its representation and more literal. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's pointing to the food and pointing to his mouth. It's obviously, what he wants the people to do is eat eat the food. And it's the kind of thing of, you know, if a mime is, you know, the, the, the traditional or the stereotypical trapped in a box or walking against the wind, um, where the mime is using movement to um, to kind of simulate or represent physical objects or um, kind of something physical in the world. And then there's a second school of mime that's more more emotional, more looking to express feelings and uh, more abstract thought rather than something, uh, you know, something, a physical representation. And that earlier mime, the the guy who's around, you know, 38, 39, second 40, 
you know, he's he's more of that kind of corporeal mime that's more uh, more abstract. He's expressing, you know, he's expressing the feeling of hunger, um, you know, of 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 need of what does it mean to just you know need to to ingest um, food and sustenance and, and that sort of thing. It's more abstract. So uh, yeah, so it, so it's interesting. Or I found it interesting that we see within within uh, you know a short span of time, just about. 10, 15 seconds of each other, we get uh, some some good typical examples of these two different schools of thought within mime. <laughs> wow, I'm so glad you explained it. I'm uh, so glad you asked, yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's just an example, uh, another example of why we picked this movie. There's just, there's layers on layers. There's so much going on in, in every scene here. And this kind of harkens me back to our very early, I think, minute two where we get the ethereal fan she's doing mm-hmm. a lot of kind of yeah I mean, she's talking but she's doing a lot of emoting and hand movements and so i mean she could have perhaps per- she could have perhaps gotten the same information across to us without even talking and with just using her right, right. her her god-given talents in in movement just letting her inner mime out mm-hmm well, another thing I noticed about these mimes and, and uh, kind of back to the fashion thing is that they're wearing like unitards with red cummerbunds <laughs> over the <laughs> unitards. And then they have those white shirts, those bil- kind of billowy white shirts. Yeah. Tucked. Those do not look comfortable <laughs> to wear. <laughs> so, do you think Bobby Fleckman hired mimes to be waiters or are these her waiters and she's they've been instructed to be mimes? Oh, good question. These are actually mimes who are waiters. And I was going to I was going to wait we get we get a little bit more of the mimes next minute. Right, since yeah. Since it came up, I was going to save this, but I'll Okay. Uh, since, since it came up, since you asked. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, again, going back to that work print. There's a there's a cut scene where uh Marty DeBergi is interviewing uh, the head mime who we get to see a little bit. Uh Morty the mime so wonderfully played by Billy Crystal, who we're uh, first introduced to at the very end of this minute, and we see a little bit more of him at the beginning of next minute. There's a cut scene of Marty uh, and Morty talking, and uh, Morty gives us his little background, and he says uh, he was an actor, but he could never remember his lines. So, <laughs> so he so he decided to get into into mime and. He he does this, uh, and then he says, he talks about when he was a child, his father would always tell him, shut up and eat. And that's, so that inspired the connection between the mime and the food. And that's actually the name. He, so now he's he's got this company of mimes that he hires out to do parties, and that's the name of the company is Shut Up and Eat. Nice. Or the agency that then places the mimes. So, uh, yeah, so Bobby or whomever uh, planned out this party – you know, opened up the phone book and flipped through and was looking for uh, looking for waiters and came about, you know, made it all the way to shut up and eat and said, yeah, let's hire those guys. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for that. And this is great. My minute. Thank you. Yeah, that was an excellent, oh, yeah. excellent question, Chris. Thank you. You've really broke it open for us. Really? There. Yeah. We're going to get to the bottom of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Well, shall we move on a little bit more here towards the last about 10 seconds of we've got a couple more things happening in this minute. 
Yes. Yeah, so one, you... yeah. One is this conversation with the maybe she's a critic or a writer of some sort. Yeah, I think I think she's a writer from Rolling Stone. But yeah, she's a reporter, and uh, yeah, she's talking to to Nigel and David, and kind of getting the scoop. Or sorry, Derek. She's it's Derek and David, and uh, she's kind of getting the scoop on on the tour. And uh, I think the term is backhanded compliment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you guys look really good for how old you are <laughs> at your age and at from your- the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put it out there. I, I believe she's got to be a critic or an interviewer because she has the steno pad. Right. And the, the steno pad is a very important, uh, you know, piece of your gear as a music journalist. I remember this from being a music journalist. You just have a steno pad for whatever reason. You just always have to have one. <laughs> always. She has her pad. She has her pencil. She she's she's working the room. I, I'm calling journalist all the way here, even though she's. She's making these these comments. I'm not sure what story she's writing up on this. <laughs> right. So they look yeah. they're old, but they look not old. <laughs> yeah. But well, from I, the stage. Yeah. Yeah, and and like you know, and they're just there to talk to her. Like they're excited to talk to her. Yeah. Whatever yeah. she's saying. You know, like they, they are yes, excited yes, at right first, but then they look like what the fuck. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Once they hear what she has to say, it changes the tone of it. So, well, what can you tell us about about music journalism? You, you, I don't really. I've only recently met you, so I don't know your history with that stuff. Oh, okay. Well, I started. I used to do a lot of record reviews, mm-hmm. and then eventually, when you do enough record reviews, you do like a spotlight, which is like you know, like, like a page long article on a band. And then you graduate from that to doing like features on bands. So that's what I think she's probably doing. She's embedded. She's at the party. Right. You know, this isn't like a setup interview. She's just there to get something on Spinal Tap. So I would imagine she is doing the story. I does. I'm not sure who she's writing for. If she's Rolling Stone or if she's like the local newspaper. You know. But so I it's think- probably like a you're thinking. So it's like a little blurb. A couple, not. It's not a. It's not a feature. She's not embedded. Uh, we're not going to see her. You know, she does. She's not on tour with the band, right? Yeah, she's not like all the famous things. Right, know, right. Spinal Tap is kicking off a new tour, and you know, maybe she, maybe she sees a show, and then she writes. You'll have a couple quotes on how everyone feels about touring North America, and then, uh, yeah. Right, but she's going to keep it through her lens of this backhanded compliment, though. You know, right, so right. Whatever they say, <laughs> the story is going to reflect what she has in her head already. Yeah, uh, I'm confident in that. Just looking at the look on her face here. Yes. 55 seconds. She has that look like, yeah, yeah whatever, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, and she's, she, she's not coming out of left field. We've remarked before that uh, at least at least David and Nigel with the Thamesmen were playing together in 65. And this is recorded in 82. So it's 17 years later. And, and even if they were 17 on, uh, I think it was on Pop, Look, and Listen – then they're going to be 34, 35 here, which, you know, in human years is, is not that old. But for, uh, you know, for a touring rock and roll musician, it's getting on in, in age. And and that's, you know, and it's a different time. These days, you know, rock and roll nostalgia is a big thing. I think there's, I think, Sticks and Journey uh, announced a tour over the summer. And, uh, you know, the former members of the Grateful Dead are out there and Jimmy Buffett and and Rolling Stones have had a, a farewell tour every year for the past 20 years. So, right. you know, with, with the, the baby boomers aging, I guess we're kind of used to older rockers hanging on and, and touring and stuff. But back in the early 80s, I don't think that was as much the case. I guess, one, because 
rock and roll was what 40, 30 years younger than it is now, and you didn't have as many aged rock and rollers to tour. But uh, I think it would have been unusual for uh, for for guys of these vintage to uh, to still be on the road like this. Trying, yeah, because I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say because at this point, um, you know, if you think about their their British contemporaries, the Who had broken up. I'm trying to think if that's right. Either they've broken up or soon, like they had done their farewell tour, and uh, you know the the individual members would go on to do individual stuff. But yeah, the Who had broken up. The Beatles had been broken up for a decade. I I'm not. I'm trying to think. The the Kinks were not actively touring. The Stones might have been one of the only like big headline name bands, and and not to necessarily compare Spinal Tap with the Stones, but just thinking of contemporary bands that would have been still touring and and, and still around at this point, folks that started off in the the early to mid sixties, and, and most of them had hung it up. Even ones that are still touring now, right. they're all like they took a decade off and they came back, kind of <laughs> right. thing. You know, yeah. it's not, you know, so, you know, she's not, uh, you know, not that it, not that you necessarily want to make a comment on someone's appearance the way she does, <laughs> but, but just in general, in terms of what, what we expect that generally pop music is a young person's game and certainly rock and roll is generally thought to be a, a young person's game. So for them to, to be, still be at it, uh, is noteworthy and not in, you know, something that, uh, the hardworking rock and roll journalist will ask about right yeah I, I, go ahead oh, chris oh sorry i was gonna say i did some quick uh some quick work checking out some rock stars that you've been mentioning all and right how all wrong was same. i no you're you're pretty much on it uh it's so michael mckeon as of now is 69 years old mm-hmm. um i was looking at some of the kinks some of the rolling stones some pink floyd they're all like 70 69 71 72 73 so they're, they're all in the same class yeah so maybe spinal tap would have gone away and they're just pushing through that those gone away years, right? Yeah. So that's why the reporter is wondering, you know, why aren't you golfing with, uh, you know, with electric light orchestra or something? Right, right, <laughs> why, right. Why are you here right. rocking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, well, I'd like to kind of, unless there's specifically anything else you guys want to mention, just move into these last couple of minutes with this little mime, mime on mime mm. snippet we've got. Yeah, a lot of mime we're, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we're back with the mimes, and we're. Um, I guess like backstage or behind the scenes. I mean, it's not a, you know, it's not a play, it's a party, but they're the support area. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's Morty who is uh, heading things up and he's, uh, he's talking with one of his guys. And one of the things we see the mimes, whether, you know, whatever school of performance they're following, it's not working. (laughs) Just the the food isn't going. Everyone's got a drink in their hand. Everyone's drinking, but, uh, but no one's eating. So he's, he's returning to, I guess, the the kitchen or the staging area. And he's got a plate full of food. And, uh, so Morty's kind of working him over. Like, you know, are you, are you pushing it? Are you, you know, are you doing your job? Are you trying to make sure everyone's fed? Yeah. And that's Dana Carvey again, right? I mean, it's the same. So he's he's really not having success unloading that plate. No, and he did, um, and, I, and and I I want to admit. So I'm as I said, I'm I'm a little bit of a mime aficionado, and as you probably tell from the extended answers I give to all these the mime questions. But before seeing this movie and outside of this movie, I'm not familiar with this dead bird routine. So this may be this may be like a Morty the mime original. This may gotcha. be something that he's worked up because there's probably, you know, it's a, it's a special case. It's not 
the same thing that you would do on a stage or or street performing or that kind of thing. You know, this if if you're if you're a waiter, one you've only got one hand. You're holding the the, the tray of food with one hand. You've got to have something you could do with one hand. So uh, this may be some original art that we're seeing with uh, when he's talking about did you do the dead bird? Right. <laughs> I like how he just decides, you know, he's quick, quick on the mind and says, well, change this, get the dwarf cannolis, the The little ones. (laughs) (sighs) But I'm glad he's not my boss. I, I don't like the, that kind of. He's, you know, he's, he's micromanaging. Yeah. He's tough. You know, it's like just, you know, what I thought, too, is that, you know, he's dressed up in his mime wear also. But does he ever make it out from, you know, from behind the scenes or is he always back of the house, but still in his mime gear? He's a kind of more dignified costume. He's got suspenders instead of that yeah. strap, yeah. uh, unitard, whatever that is. Yes. <laughs> when he's got like too. a tuxedo shirt with the frills and the. The, the collar. Yeah, he's, yeah, I guess, you know, he's the boss. The he boss gets, mime, yeah. The boss, wait, mime, waiter, waiter, mime. Yeah. How, whatever, how, whatever order we should describe him in. Yeah. Uh, well, anything else for this minute, guys? Or we should, should we start wrapping things up for min- minute eight here? Yeah, so with, uh, with the introduction of Morty the Mime, we've reached the end of this 30 seconds. I think, uh, you know, we'll get a little bit more mime tomorrow. We'll pick up the the beginning of the next minute with uh with Morty and and Dana Carvey, um, and we can talk more mime then. Yeah, do you have anything else uh, you want to add, Chris? I, I think I think we've uh I think we have a comprehensive view of this minute <laughs> mimes and everything. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I just had a weird little thing since we talked a bit about Bobby Fleckman, but not too much about about Fran Drescher. I just mm-hmm. found a little something I thought was kind of cute and funny in um, her uh, Wikipedia page, which was that her friend and Peter Mark Jacobson, who ended up being her husband for several years, and then they divorced but continued to be very close friends. Um, they both attended Queens College City of uh, City University of New York but dropped out in their first year because all the acting classes were filled. So they <laughs> instead, they both enrolled in cosmetology school. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was really cute and funny that they both just said, oh, the acting classes are full. Okay, let's switch to cosmetology. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And that's all I have for this minute. All right. All right, then. Okay, well, we hope you've enjoyed the eighth episode of Spinal Tap Minute. Um, Our theme music, as I've mentioned before, is by Aloha Screwdriver. And um, if you listen to the few minutes previous to this, you got to hear them speak a little bit about Spinal Tap and their own Spinal Tap stories um, on the road and such being musicians. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, You can find us at SpinalTapMinute.com. You can find all of our social links and subscription links there to keep connected with us. Uh, Yeah, and also I'll, I'll plug the uh, the Spinal Tap Minute hotline. So you can uh, give us a call at 419-TAP-TAP-6. That's 419-827-8276. And if you have any uh, real-life Spinal Tap uh, experiences, any uh, crazy on-tour stories, we'd love to hear them. And uh, if it's something good, you might be featured in an upcoming episode. 
Yeah. And I'd love to hear, you know, so far what's, you know, comments on anything we've been watching so far, any more mime knowledge or anything <laughs> like that, or for upcoming minutes, stuff that you'd like to mention. We'd love to get some some calls in and yeah. see what you guys are thinking about. about and uh, and Christopher, track. do you have anything uh, anything coming up? Any uh, if, if people want to hear or see more of you, uh, where can they go? Um, well, they can they can listen to this again. <laughs> or they, can, they can tune in tomorrow. Or uh, by the time this is out, I will have been on uh, one of my favorite shows, Indiana Jones Minute. I think I think we all love Indiana Jones Minute, do we not? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. One of, right. one of my favorites as well. Totally. So I'm excited. That was a great time. And uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll think of more stuff for next time you ask. <laughs> all right. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. So so come on back tomorrow. And that's directed to uh, to Christopher, as well as all of you out there listening. Come on back tomorrow. We'll do it again. We'll talk about the next minute. And so until then, so say all of us, tap, tap into, into America. America. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that was a good one.